You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. He immediately admonishes us to be obedient children. And yes, obedience is not righteousness, but it is certainly the first step in that direction. As far as God is concerned, He's very concerned that His children obey Him. Nothing grieves the heart of God more than when we refuse to obey. Listen, it is one thing to believe the gospel but it's another thing altogether to obey the gospel. Obedience is more than words. It's the actions that follow. As Pastor Mike said, you can believe in the Bible, but it's different to actually obey it. How does simply believing affect your life? You can believe in all kinds of things, but it doesn't shape who you are or how you treat the world around you. Today, Pastor Mike will encourage you to go from belief to action. Take what you learn in God's Word and make changes to your lifestyle. Start living as Jesus did, doing what your Heavenly Father asks of you. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 with today's edition of In My Father's House. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. In the progression of that series now, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through uh, 16. This is that series in the book of 1 Peter, a living hope uh, series. And once again, this evening's message, our blessed hope. Well, let's go ahead, read that text, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, and whenever you see a therefore or a wherefore uh, in the Bible, The writer is drawing a conclusion relating to those things that had preceded the therefore or the wherefore. And remember, uh, uh, here in this uh, section, Peter has been talking about our great uh, salvation. And so, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, or at His second coming. As obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, before we actually get into our text, I want to remind you, it should be kept in mind here that Peter, in his epistle, is writing to those who were presently suffering severe persecution for their faithful and consistent testimony for Jesus Christ. 
and they were actually being persecuted on two different fronts. They were being persecuted by the Roman uh, state, who just used Christians as scapegoats for anything that was bad that was going on throughout the empire. They also blamed the destruction of Rome upon uh, Christians. But then also, the other front, they received persecution from their own Jewish countrymen, who thought that to receive Christ as their Savior was blasphemous. And so they were tortured at this time. They were killed. Their property was confiscated. And so Peter is writing to those who are disturbed and distressed by their surroundings. Peter here encourages them, notice, by reminding them of their glorious future. That is, when Jesus returns upon the earth to rule and reign together with his saints, with the church, which again is known as the Blessed Hope. Now, that sets up this study uh, for you, and that also brings us to our first point, and that is, but until then, that is, until Jesus comes again, notice what it says there in verse 13. We are exhorted to gird up the loins of our mind, be sober. In other words, don't permit yourselves to be consumed by worry and fear. You know, I rather like the original Greek manuscripts in their translation that reads, tighten up the belt about your mind, be perfectly calm. And so anyway, despite all of the sorrow and adversity, all of the conditions that existed back then for these believers, they should rest in God's comforting peace. That's the exhortation that Peter gives to the church. And notice also, not for a day or a week, or a month, but notice there, according to verse 13, to the end of this present age, which culminates, the end of the age, with the second coming of Jesus Christ and his return. And so the exhortation, trust in the Lord until then with patient confidence. Listen, gang, there is no hope more comforting and inspiring for the disheartened than this blessed Hope, that is the return of our living, loving Lord. For the Christian, it is the key by which all modern problems are resolved, and sane optimism is established. You see, because of Christ's second coming, our future is secure, and it transforms the belief, our faith in that truth, Christ's coming again, transforms faith from weakness to strength, from insufficiency to all sufficiency. Truly the belief of Christ's second coming is the key that unlocks the door to balance and stability in a world that is torn by war, bloodshed, crime, injustice, sorrow, and sin. Listen gang, there's coming a day when the earth shall be the dwelling place of God's righteousness. It'll be a place of peace. It'll be a place of blessing. That is when Jesus subdues the earth and all that oppose God's truth. Remember what Jesus said. It's recorded first in John's Gospel in chapter 14 in verse 3. Here's a cross reference for you. This is the Lord's promise to you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Remember in Acts chapter 1, 
there in verse 11, depicting the ascension of Jesus Christ. And as the believers were standing by watching that event unfold, there appeared these angels who addressed the crowd. And they said to them, Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into a heaven. So Jesus is coming again. Now also, those who fully accept the scriptural truth by faith will discover this anticipation, a strong influence for Christian behavior. And then that brings us to our second point this evening, and that is a spur to holy living. That is the idea of Christ coming back again should motivate us to live a pure and holy life. The direct relationship of righteousness to the second coming is mentioned and taught on repeatedly throughout the Bible. For example, let me give you a cross-reference for this. In 1 John chapter 3, and verse 3, there we are told, And everyone who has this hope in him, that is in Christ, purifies himself even as he is pure. Another significant portion of Scripture addressing this very point, taken from the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. In chapter 85, in the 85th Psalm, in verse 13, there we are told, Righteousness shall go before him, who's him, Jesus, and shall set us in the way of his steps. In other words, the righteousness of Christ should be manifested not only when he comes back, but also here and now, presently. You see, every child of God should be walking in the way of Christ's steps, as is indicated there in that 85th Psalm. And so wherever the doctrine of the second coming is proclaimed faithfully and believed sincerely, righteousness will be the result. That's the fruit. The fruit is righteousness and godly behavior. Now, to further establish this truth, let's go back to our text, and I want you to notice in our text, we are told, and I want to break this down for you, the return of Jesus should have a threefold effect upon a believer. Okay, what is that effect? Well, first of all, verse 13, it should constrain us to obey God. Notice that's the exhortation there in verse 13. Secondly, verse 14, we are to forsake sin, which is indicated there in verse 14. And then thirdly, verse 15, we are to be holy. And so anyway, after Peter's announcement of Christ's second coming, he immediately admonishes us to be obedient children. And yes, obedience is not righteousness, but it is certainly the first step in that direction. As far as God is concerned, he's very concerned that his children obey him. Nothing grieves the heart of God more than when we refuse to obey. Listen, it is one thing to believe the gospel, but it's another thing altogether to obey the gospel. You know, there's this story, and I hope that this illustrates this truth quite well. Uh, there's a story of a young boy who was visiting his aunt for the summer, who regularly, the aunt did, regularly took him uh, to church each Sunday. Now, one Sunday, she had become ill and sent the young fellow on by himself. 
but knowing how uncontrollable he was at times, she strongly emphasized the importance of being good and behaving himself. Well, anyway, after the service and upon his return, the aunt asked him, well, did you behave? Well, the little fellow replied, I surely did. I heard the lady that was sitting behind me say, my goodness, did you ever see a child behave like that? Well, listen, gang, that wasn't a compliment. But how descriptive this is of too many so-called believers who fail to regard behavior as closely allied with belief. Yes, they go to church, but after leaving church, they behave badly. So, let me ask you the question. Are we falling short of God's standard of righteousness? I mean, only as we obey Jesus do we honor him. In fact, Jesus himself said, it's recorded first in Luke's Gospel in chapter 6, in verse 46, Why call me Lord, and do not the things which I say? And so there must be a desire to break from sin. Let's go back to our text. Notice, let's read it again, verse 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the form of lusts, as in your ignorance. But you know what? There's so much pressure that's being placed upon us to become what and like the world is. So God help us. There must be that desire, that break from sin, a break from lustful habits. You see, we're no longer ignorant, according to our text, of God's truth. We should gladly break from all those former things that this is displeasing to our Lord. I mean, we're living in a carefree generation that's characterized by lust. And believers should not bear the mark of this age. We are exhorted so many places relating to this truth. Like, for example, in the book of Titus, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Let me read it for you. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope, that is the second coming of Jesus, and glorious appearing of our great God. You know, I want to emphasize that here, Jesus is referred to as our great God. And the reason why I'm drawing that to your attention, because there are many who oppose that idea that Jesus is God, the second person of the triune God. They would suggest that, you know, he was a prophet or a teacher or an angel, uh, but not God. So this is a great verse of scripture to have in your arsenal to combat that false belief. So he says, at the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me give you another cross-reference. It's found in Luke's Gospel in chapter 21, in verse 34. There we are also exhorted to a holy living, a higher standard. And there Jesus says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day, what day? The second coming of Jesus, or the rapture of the church, come upon you, unexpectedly. And so the believer is to be rather controlled by the Spirit of God. 
rather than our old fleshly nature, our old fleshly desires, our lusts. We should desire to do only that which God wants us to do, rather than to live to please ourselves. Now notice Peter goes on in verse 15. Let's go back to our text there. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Now, uh, J.B. Phillips, who is considered one of the greatest Greek scholars, and in his New Testament translation of the Bible, it reads that verse 15, and I rather like this translation, you are to be holy in every department of your life. I like that translation. So this is the challenge for every true believer, that is to completely be yielded to Jesus Christ. And that word yielded is the key. But just to clarify, Peter is not suggesting there in verse 15, sinless perfection. That's not what he's suggesting here at all. In fact, maybe this definition will help you to better understand what Peter is getting at here. Holiness, and that's what we're exhorted to do, to live a holy life. Holiness is possession of the soul by God. Let me say that again. Holiness is possession of our soul by God. I mean, perfection in this life is impossible to attain. You know that to be true. But as Jesus was impelled to do the will of the Father in every activity of his life, so are believers to be possessed of God through that complete commitment to him, permitting him to work out his holiness in and through us. And he will do that if we allow him to. And it begins when we give him that top priority in every phase of living and love him with our whole hearts. You see, our love for Jesus opens the door to holiness. So therefore, we need to learn to love Jesus more. And how do we do that? Well, just simply, we need to put ourselves in that place. We need to align ourselves with what God is doing in our lives, where we can receive of his love and his blessing and his provision. Because guess what? Love, that is the love of Christ, begets love for him. You know, isn't it interesting that when Jesus was questioning Peter concerning his relationship to him, he asked the question, Peter, and he asked this question three times, Peter, do you love me? He didn't say to Peter, Peter, do you love those whom you are preaching to? And yes, we are to love those who God has given to us to minister to, so don't misunderstand. But the most important issue is that we love the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, gang, loving Christ is the secret to holiness. If you love him, if you abide by his commands in willing obedience, you will discover God's enabling grace to fulfill it. You know, I want to close this evening's message with a story. It's a story about this Buddhist monk who was from Sri Lanka, who was acquainted with both Christianity and Buddhism, who was once asked what he thought was the great difference between the two, that is, Christianity and Buddhism. Well, he replied, 
There is much that is good in each of them, and probably in all religions. What seems to me to be the greatest difference is that you Christians know what is right and then have the power to do it, while we Buddhists know what is right but have no such power. Listen, gang, remember, God says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so Christ, through the Holy Spirit, gives unlimited power for holiness. But we, on our part, must yield freely and completely, moment by moment, to a life of obedience and the forsaking of sin. And so let us seek no other way but God's way. Wholehearted commitment to the Christ who gave his all for us. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. We're going to talk about the effect that Christ's blood have upon us, the results of Christ's blood, the blessings that we receive because of that shed blood. So chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time, that is the time that we spend while we're here upon the earth, of your state here in fear, or rather in reverence, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The idea here is that Christ was sinless. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Okay, let's back up a little bit. I want to remind you, we were talking about and emphasizing how that Peter was writing to persecuted believers. So in this section of his epistle, he's writing to encourage them. And how did he go about seeking to encourage them? Well, by reminding them of their blessed hope. And what is the blessed hope? That is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Christ's return to the earth to establish his kingdom upon the earth. And listen, during which time there's not going to be any persecution of Christians. In fact, there's not going to be any fear. It's going to be all peace. There will be no sickness. There will be no longer any sorrow. And what a time to look forward to as Christians. That is when Christ comes back a second time to establish His kingdom of righteousness upon the earth. And so, as we look to that event taking place in the near future, it's a hope that dispels fear and inspires Christians to live righteously. In my father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be oh my As we study the book of first Peter together we pray it has both encouraged and challenged you to grow in your faith. The Apostle Peter understands that standing firm in your faith isn't all so easy, but the reward is great. Learn from him today and practice self-discipline and trust the Lord to help you through. 
You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again, or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio on your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening service, so everyone has the chance to attend even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that was harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening in today. Join us again next time for more with Pastor Mike right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled.